Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 76. Happy New Year, my beautiful friends, and welcome back to the Healing Catalyst podcast and a brand new season. Season five is here along with the new year of 2023. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Avanti and I am so, so happy that you're here with me. I hope that you all had a wonderful holiday and that you're having a beautiful start to this new year. I actually took some time last week to enter this new year a little slowly with some space and some time to get myself organized and to do some planning for what is going to be a really exciting and a really full year. I'm turning in my manuscript for my second book in March. We have a new online course coming out in April. My daughter Isha graduates from college in May, and my son Zane graduates from his master's program in August. And there are milestone celebrations for my younger sister Anjali and many of my closest friends, my 30th college reunion, which I can't believe, and graduations of my nieces, weddings of my cousins, family travel, all the beautiful moments of life both personal and professional. And so I'm being really intentional with how I'm approaching this year with so much happening, so much fullness and beauty in my life so that I can really maintain some space and some time to really experience everything, whether it's writing my book, filming my online course, recording this podcast, or preparing for a book launch next year. I'm protecting my energy by tuning into how I feel when I make any decision to say yes, to say no, or to say, let me get back to you. Creating some space and some time to think and consider what drains my energy and what gives me energy. And if you're setting your new year intentions for your health, I wanted to remind you that I have a great resource for you that will help you get clear on where to start. It's a brand new quiz I created called the Energy Fix Quiz which will give you your energy type along with personalized recommendations from me for your energy fix to boost your energy and support your health as you enter this new year of 2023. It takes just three to four minutes and you can find it at avantikumarsingh.com backslash quiz. It's also linked in the show notes for you. So today we're starting the new year with a new season, season five of the Healing Catalyst podcast. And a new month means a new intention around here. And so the January intention is refresh and renew. And we're kicking it off with a look at the newest wellness trends for 2023. Now, this is part one of a two-part episode where I'm joined by Abby Stone, the VP of content and the executive editor of Well and Good to discuss all the trends that are coming up in wellness in this coming year. As VP of content, Abby oversees Well and Good's editorial team, using her decade of media experience to bring great stories to life. Her North Star 
PR is really to create wellness content that you can trust. It's backed by evidence, rooted in service, and committed to advancing an inclusive and accessible view of well-being. Prior to joining Well and Good in 2017, Abby was an editor at publications including Mental Floss and People. She graduated magna cum laude from Barnard College and lives in Brooklyn. Since their launch in 2010, Well and Good has been a hub for trend spotting and reporting in health and wellness. Well and Good is known for its journalistic approach to content and their commitment to creating inclusive content that makes health and wellness accessible to all and aims to amplify different perspectives, experiences, and stories. This week in part one, we discuss trends in beauty and self-care. And next week in part two, we discuss trends in food, fitness, and healthcare. Some of the trends that we discuss today are the newest beauty biotech formulations, innovative approaches for hair loss, the rise of psychodermatology, new attitudes towards sexual wellness that are normalizing the truth that sexual health is part of our overall health, surprise, surprise, more culturally diverse wellness technology, and the new trends in wellness travel. It's a fascinating conversation that I think you'll so enjoy. You'll also get some great insights from Abby as she shares many of the behind the scenes conversations that she had with her team as they researched and reported on the trends that made it into Well and Good's highly anticipated annual trends report for 2023. I think you'll really enjoy this lively conversation between myself and Abby, where we share our different perspectives on the trends and what's happening globally and culturally in health and wellness. I'm so happy to share my conversation with Abby Stone to help you refresh and renew with a look at what's in store for our wellness in 2023. Hi, Abby. It's so great to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk to you about the wellness trends that you have identified at Well and Good. I spent some time reading through them and they're really, really interesting. So super excited to have you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it's great. We've uh, we've been going back and forth about this for almost a month and I couldn't say anything because I knew what the wellness trends were, but obviously they just came out in December. Everyone will be hearing this in January right after the new year. So I don't know how many people have actually read them or maybe they have, but it'll be an interesting discussion. So today we're going to be talking about the beauty and self-care trends. And then in part two of this, which will come next week, we'll be talking about food, fitness, and health. So make sure that you tune in for both. So let's get started. We're going to start with beauty. And so the first wellness trend that you guys have identified is that beauty biotech packs the punch of natural ingredients with less environmental impact. Let's talk about this one. This is really interesting. Tell me a little bit about, you know, your perspective on this. Yeah. So it's been, you know, a blooming trend over the past few years um, in the beauty space to lean into natural ingredients um, and naturally sourced ingredients in products. And what brands are starting to see is um, is two things. One is that that is starting to put a real strain on the environment when you have to source so much of things like apricot or vanilla um, or ingredients like palm oil that are used in a lot of beauty products, but is leading to deforestation across the world. 
So it doesn't seem like, I guess, pun intended, a, a sustainable method of creating beauty. So what we're seeing is that the beauty industry is starting to use increasingly biotechnology. So biotechnology is an umbrella term that your listeners might be familiar with um, that just refers to kind of using biological processes and materials in order to fuel new technologies and new creations. So we see this in the food space, things like lab-grown meat uses biotechnology. We see this in the health space, the COVID vaccine, you know, uses biotechnology to create. Um, And in the beauty space, what biotech often refers to is sourcing a single cell from a natural ingredient um, and then multiplying it in a lab so that you get more of that ingredient. And this is really cool from a sustainability point of view, like I was talking about, and also because it allows product formulators to be really um, much more targeted in the ingredients that they're using to make a much more potent uh, final product for folks. So really exciting space. We're starting to see brands um, adopt this sort of technology more and more. Mm -hmm. And so this is sort of the next big thing in the skincare world, because, you know, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are sort of in that world of really wanting more natural products that maybe come from other healing traditions. You know, this is a podcast about integrative healing and Ayurveda. And so we talk about these sorts of ingredients a lot. And, you know, natural ingredients are so much the soul of Ayurveda, right? Because it balances body and mind. What I'm wondering about is, you know, there is something to the fact that when you're using a plant in its real form, there are multiple compounds that are in there, right? So, you know, in Ayurveda, we also use every part of the plant, which has different mechanisms of action, different benefits, and are used in different formulations for skin, for herbal preparations. But in something like this, I mean, it's almost, it's like isolating one specific compound and then putting that into a formulation. So I feel like we lose a little bit of that, or maybe I'm wrong. How do they deal with that issue? Yeah, no, that's such a great point. And I think, you know, I think where this comes from is, is not that there's not benefits to using the whole plant, but for some people, particularly if you have sensitized or sensitive skin, um, you know, there can be parts of the whole plant that, uh, aren't great for your skin. And, you know, it can be difficult to kind of navigate that as a consumer. So I think that's one benefit that comes with these for people, you know, just kind of looking at the ingredients list, maybe having more types of ingredients available to you than than was before, because you found that your skin was sensitive to to comfrey or, or whatever it might be. Um, and then the other thing is, is the scale of it, right? Like I think that a lot of these large beauty brands in particular are creating product at such scale that it's, it's already losing kind of that, that holistic full plan approach um, and is really draining natural resources in, in the process. So I don't think we're talking quite as much about kind of you know, smaller batch, you know, indie beauty brands, um, but really the overall impact. Yeah. I mean, it's just something to think about when we're, when we're going to biotechnology, it's an interesting place to be in, you know, having a Western medical perspective and, you know, my training in Western medicine, and then this integrative medicine and Eastern healing tradition, it's sort of like, how do you bring the best of both worlds? Right. And this is going to be a common theme in many of the the trends we talk about, right? You know, sort of this friction that's going on between 
ancient healing traditions and Western technology, right? And medicine. And so it's like, how do we bring those two together? Which is what I think you're speaking to is being more sustainable, being able to provide these products in larger numbers to a larger number of people. Because the other thing that comes up for me is that, you know, many of these ingredients in their pure form when harvested from a natural plant are very, very expensive, right? And so that increases the cost of these products, which then again, makes it that only certain people will be able to afford it. So I think there's that piece too, to think about, right? Yeah, that's such a great point. Um, in the fact that so many people aren't able to, to access some of these ingredients or some of these plants because of the price point. So I think that that's definitely another potential benefit of using this type of technology. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's a, it's an interesting question. Again, um, there's always good and bad, you know, the, yeah. the, the two sides, because I think there's a lot of people who are total purists who would say, oh, this is wrong. This is, you know, not the way that these um, herbal preparations in these other healing traditions were meant to be created. On the other hand, right, we have a large population, we have modern, modern technology. And, you know, one of the things I think about a lot in Ayurveda is that, you know, the ancients who wrote these texts, they, they had a very interesting perspective is that the way that they wrote about this healing system was meant to evolve with time. I think they had that foresight mm. to know that civilization was going to progress and become more modern, right? And so they sort of, it's almost like they knew that when they wrote this down to, to transition with time. And so, you know, maybe this is, again, one of those ways that it, it transitions into the modern age of, of having this technology to isolate those plant ingredients that are very powerful medicines and put them into skincare that's more widely available. So. Yeah, I love that idea so much. I think that's such an important thing to think about. And, you know, so many of these traditions when they were formed as well, necessarily couldn't see the, you know, couldn't predict the world where we'd be today and kind of the situation we'd be in today. Um, so I love that idea of, of things kind of, you know, evolving as we go. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great one. You and I could sit here and talk about this know, one for so a full many. hour. <laughs> I mean, I have other questions I want to ask you, but I know I have to move on. So let's move to the next one. So the next trend is about hair loss. There's a whole bunch of hair products that have been coming into the market. So let's talk about this um, trend. And the, the title of it is, as hair loss sheds its stigma, a new class of products is attacking the problem at its root. So yeah. let's talk about this one. It's really yeah, you're getting all my... Uh... I'm flexing my pun skills in these headlines here. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah. So this one I think is, is so interesting and so necessary. So basically where this came from is over the past few years, um, hair loss has become a lot more common for, for people in America, for men and women. Um, it's hair loss is a side effect. So some people in it anecdotally are seeing when they have COVID and then just stress is a major cause of hair loss for so many people. And the past few years have been incredibly stressful <laughs> for, for so many reasons. Um, so people are starting to lose their hair with greater frequency. And the positive side of that is that as more people are experiencing this issue, they're talking about it more widely and it's becoming a lot less taboo, which I think is fantastic. And it, 
things becoming less taboo is kind of a theme across our wellness trends and something that makes me super excited in terms of well-being. So as people are talking about it more, you know, even celebrities like Jennifer Garner and Nicole Kidman um, have come out and talked about um, their experience with hair loss and have partnered with hair care companies to, to bring attention to the issue. It's really moving the beauty industry um, to create more and better products for people who are dealing with um, with hair loss and all of the different reasons that people might experience hair loss. So stress is a big one, but also things like autoimmune conditions can cause hair loss. There are genetic, um, there are genetic reasons why you might experience hair loss. Uh, and it's not a one size fits all sort of situation with finding solutions for them. So what we're seeing, there's a couple different options. One is there are more prescription-based medical options that are becoming available. Oral minoxidil, minoxidil is the, the ingredient in Rogaine, but now there's like an oral version that you can take. The FDA just approved a, a new drug, the first of its kind for treating alopecia, um, which is an autoimmune condition that causes hair loss. So a lot of things that you can get with a prescription are becoming more available to people. And then on the over-the-counter side of things, a lot of products that are seeking to increase scalp health and really thinking of scalp health as skincare and, and, and taking care of your scalp the same way you do your face and the rest of your body um, is, is helping combat a lot of these hair loss issues as well. So really exciting space, I think. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. And so, you know, for the listeners, you know, there's an estimated 21 million women in the United States alone who suffer from hair loss as of today, right? And in men, it's even actually higher because of baldness and all kinds of, you know, other hair loss issues. But it's it's an interesting thing because I really do think you're right, you know, with COVID and one of the side effects or one of the long haul symptoms of COVID being hair loss it's something that has really um, come to the forefront. I mean, you know, anywhere you go, you're talking to your friends, they'll be talking about someone else or themselves having some hair loss. And so I feel like hair loss has come out of sort of that sort of whispering about it at home or being ashamed of it because it is, it was always thought to be more autoimmune or that there was some other issue going on, right? And this is sort of like, no, a lot of people are dealing with it, which is, I think was true before anyway. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people were suffering from hair loss for stress-related issues, other issues that were going on with themselves, but never really talked about it because they didn't want to be lumped in with having some problem or medical problem that was causing their hair loss, right? Um, and, you know, it's really interesting because in, in Ayurveda and South Asian culture, you know, we're taught about scalp health from like the time that we're little, especially girls, right? Um, and women, you know, I remember growing up and basically having a weekly hair oiling, you know, with my mom, she would sit there and put almond oil and, you know, or even sometimes olive oil and, and whatever it was into my scalp and do a really, really nice massage, which was lovely. But it was also, you know, when I was that age, I was like, oh God, my hair is going to be oily when I go to school. But it really did promote the health of your hair. And from an Ayurvedic perspective, you know, hair loss is believed to be caused by an increase of the pitta dosha or the fire element in the body, which then causes inflammation at the follicles, which causes the hair loss. And so scalp health is really 
you know, something that we really talk about in Ayurveda. You know, there's there's some you know Ayurvedic products that I've used. There's one company called Sahajan, and I love their hair oil for this reason because it's made of it has amla in it, which is one of the key ingredients in many of the hair remedies that we use in Ayurveda. I think that there's lots of options, like you're saying, but once again, really interesting that you know, Western culture is sort of catching up to this idea that it's not just the, um, when it gets to the point where it's a medical issue, but before that, you know, that hair loss is a sign of increased fire in the body, increased stress, anger, what, whatever it is, there's so many associations and to notice if your hair is starting to fall out and say, oh, let me think about what's out of balance within me and then let me do some remedies. And so this, this idea of hair oiling um, has always been one that we've been doing in Ayurveda. Don't we see this so often, Western culture just yeah. taking way too long to, to wake up to things that other people have known for centuries? Right. It's always so interesting because I do think that, you know, I mean, Western medicine has its roots in these healing systems, specifically Ayurveda, it's the oldest healing system known, right? And, mm -hmm. and most healing systems have their roots in Ayurveda, including Western medicine. You know, and I haven't done the research, I could probably read some more, but I'm sure that there was, you know, this idea of scalp health way back when Western medicine started to develop. But somewhere along the line, we lost sight of that and became so uh, focused on organ systems or body systems or technology and medications that we forgot about these practices that have been time tested that mm -hmm. will help us with our overall health in general, but then something as specific as hair loss. So mm -hmm. I think it's been there probably, but we've forgotten along the way. So it's, it's nice that it's coming back. But I do hope that some of, you know, some of these traditional practices and some of these product brands that have some of the traditional formulations will also be at the forefront because otherwise it just becomes another thing that's capitalized on by Western culture. So that's a bigger conversation, but <laughs> interesting. Are there any specific formulations or products that you guys found were really interesting or, you know, you, you've mentioned that there are some that have been just approved by the FDA, but are there any other ones? Yeah. So there's, there's a couple that really stick out to me. So on the prescription front, there's a brand called Muesli, um, which has released a new oral minoxidil, like I was talking about that also includes ingredients that promote um, promote hair, hair regrowth and regeneration as well. So it's kind of attacking it from both sides of the problem. So reducing the reasons why you have hair loss and then also um, promoting hair regrowth, which is really exciting. Um, and then there's another brand, speaking of brands focused on scalp health called Act in Acre, which is focusing on these really keratin rich formulas that help promote hair regrowth for women in particular who are experiencing thinning hair. And then some of these bigger brands that you see, like Virtue is another that has Jennifer Garner's stamp of approval. Um, and they're really bringing in this kind of self-care sort of language into their marketing as well, which I think gets back to what you were talking about in terms of taking the time and having it be more of a ritual and part of your routine rather than 
you know, when you were speaking earlier about the ways that Western culture has kind of forgotten these origins, where my mind went to is that maybe hustle culture is to blame for that. And in the States in particular, we're so like, go, go, go. Let's make our, let's wash our hair as quickly as possible. Let's make our showers short and get on to the next thing. And what we're missing is really kind of taking that time, that whole body, that holistic approach and thinking about how all of these things come together. So I think there's a lot that we could really serve to, to further, you know, kind of return to these origins with. Yeah, I love that. And I think that, you know, again, the, the hair oiling ritual and, you know, you can look up on the internet, hair oiling rituals from Ayurveda. And again, like I said, that specifically, there's an Ayurvedic brand called Sahajan. I love their hair oil. I think it's amazing. Formulated very, very traditionally, according to Ayurvedic formulation for that remedy. But they also have some videos about how to do a scalp massage Mm. for scalp health, which again, goes back to this idea of, you know, self-care in these ways is really important and making a ritual out of it and, and calming your nervous system down is really important because again, you know, this is a lot of this is stress related hair loss that we've seen through the pandemic. Yes, it's definitely the genetic and other medical conditions that have always been there. Then you add COVID, long-term COVID symptoms, but really such a big part of it is the stress-related component of hair loss. And so I think that's really important to talk about. And so actually, this is a really good segue into the next one (laughs) that we were going to talk about, which is the rise of psychodermatology, giving a whole new meaning to stress-relieving skincare. And I I really find this one interesting. So let's, let's jump into this one next. Yeah, I find this fascinating as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly stress is a, is a common denominator for, for so many of these trends um, because it's such a huge issue for, for people right now. So psychodermatology is basically the field, the scientific field that studies the skin-brain connection. Um, and there's so much research to back up the fact that that is a huge connection and, and mental health and skin health really can't be separated and shouldn't be separated in the way that they traditionally have. Um, and what a lot of this research shows is that um, is that's very cyclical. There was one study in particular that called it a, a vicious cycle, um, where as we were kind of talking about in regards to hair loss, stress and inflammation in the body that's caused by stress um, can manifest as skin issues for a lot of people. So rashes or eczema um, can appear when you're feeling stressed. And then when you are dealing with skin issues, um, it can then have an impact on your mental health. You know, you don't feel great about the way you look, or maybe you have something like eczema that's very itchy and it's keeping you up at night and you can't get the sleep that you need, um, because of the physical discomfort you're in really takes a toll on your mental health, which then spikes that stress response again and impacts your skin. So it's a really kind of fascinating um, cycle. And I think that the more that um, that people understand it and that the, the medical community understands it and the beauty industry understands it, we can, we can work to kind of un- unpack it and again, to attack these problems at, at the root. Um, so there are a bunch of skincare brands that are embracing this in different ways. So one is just gets back to what we were talking about in regards to self-care. And they're really leading with 
with mental health, with a self-care approach to your skincare um, in order to really think of your skincare routine as that time to take a moment, maybe do a meditation and really care for your mind and your emotional well-being while you're doing skincare. And then on kind of the sciencey flip side of it, something that I think is fascinating, and I'm not a scientist, so I can't get into all of the details of it, but um, there are a class of products and ingredients called neurocosmetics. And what um, researchers have found and product formulators have found is there are certain ingredients when used topically on the skin actually has mental health boosting impact. Um, so you can apply these topicals on your skin and it uh, blocks the creation of cortisol, which is the stress hormone. So you don't see that same spike in stress that you would see otherwise. And it also stimulates the release of beta endorphins. So those feel good um, hormones and chemicals in your body. So really wild to me that I think that the skincare products you use um, can have like a, a physical scientific impact on your mental health. Yeah, no, I think this is a really interesting concept because again, it's totally part of what Ayurveda says, right? You know, in Ayurveda, we know that there is a connection between all symptoms, right? Emotions will definitely show up on your skin. In fact, in Ayurveda, you know, the skin is the largest organ of the body. And we say in Ayurveda that it is actually an external mirror for what is going on internally. Mm. Okay. And so the emotions are actually one of the key things to think about. And so, you know, the pandemic showed us really how much anxiety and stress people are under, right? That they can't even function. And some of the main emotions that I've heard from a lot of people are, you know, the anxiety of, of not knowing what's happening, but then also a lot of anger at what's mm. happening and being isolated or being restricted or, or whatever it is, or being sick or having someone die, right? And so those are two of the main emotions that I'm hearing about. And anxiety specifically in Ayurveda is related to an increase in vata or the air and space qualities, which have the qualities of air and space, which is dry, light, cool, and mobile. And when you have an increase in that, you can have a symptom of dry and itchy skin, which exactly correlates to this idea that your emotions, your mental health, your brain health, right? That is affecting your skin health. So that right there, we see the connection in Ayurveda. The other emotion that we think about is anger. And that is related to pitta or the increase of fire, right? And the fire qualities of, you know, sharp, hot, oily, and mobile. And one of the skin manifestations of increased pitta in the body and mind is actually acne, rash, blotchiness, psoriasis, eczema, all of the skin conditions that we're talking about right now, right? That you, that you sort of cited as the interest in the connection between stress, emotions, and then what happens to your skin, right? So it's really interesting. And so I think that, again, we've known this in Ayurveda for so long, and actually in many integrated healing, you know, uh, traditions, energy healing, that there is a relationship between your emotions, where they're stored in the body, how you process them and feel them, and it's actually connected to your skin. And, you know, from a biological Western perspective, the skin and the brain are actually 
created from the same embryonic tissue, right? So right there, we know that they are related. So that actually also shows the, the relationship beyond what we're talking about of just knowing that the symptoms are connected. So I find it just really, really interesting that this is another area that's going to be a trend. It seems so logical to me that this would be something that people would think about, but I guess they don't or they haven't. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes back to, you know, a lot of what we've been talking about in terms of, you know, Western kind of medical system tends to treat the symptoms that they see. And when it comes to skin health, the symptoms can be very obvious things, you know, that we've been naming acne, blotchiness, rashes. Um, So you reach for, you know, kind of those topicals. But I think, yeah, there's so much to learn about um, in regards to, you know, the way that you can treat those mental health symptoms, address those mental health you know, struggles that you might have in order to impact the skin rather than um, necessarily just kind of slathering on a, a topical. Those have benefits too, but. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it goes to this other larger conversation that it's almost like in Western medicine, we've forgotten that our head is attached to our body, right? <laughs> that the mind is connected to the rest of the body, that mind-body connection, which, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago when I sort of, you know, went in this direction of going back to Ayurveda and integrative healing practices, a lot of people in Western medicine, my colleagues were sort of like, oh, that's woo woo. Or, you know, they weren't quite there. They're like, yeah, the mind body connection, but where's the proof? Where's the data? Even though anecdotally, they are seeing this in their offices, in their patients all the time, right? We've always seen it. The uh, connection between stress and health issues or symptoms that are coming up. But of course, everyone was so focused on the data before, mm-hmm. but it's not like this doesn't exist. And so again, it's like our, our heads are connected to our bodies. There is a connection between the mind and the body, both physiologically, anatomically, and then also from this perspective of the relationship between how they interact, right? Which is what I think we're talking about. So it's just, it's just something to note that I, I always find it funny that we forget that we have a head and a body that's connected. So they must be connected in many ways. (laughs) It's yeah, it's fascinating too. I think that um, so many of these things come back to, to COVID and the pandemic that we've been living through the past few years. And I think one of the biggest change that we've seen is that people are thinking about their health in a whole new way and have had, you know, so much more, um, kind of curiosity about their health and have been forced to think about it in a whole new way because of the pandemic. And, and in many ways we're seeing kind of, you know, talk about the data, the science and the research around COVID is unfolding in real time. And because of that, there isn't the data. And I think people are learning more to trust their lived experiences and trust what they're seeing in their own bodies. And that's kind of awakening these new connections for people that maybe aren't familiar with Ayurveda and other, you know, more traditional cultures, um, cultural practices. So, so yeah, I think there's, there's a a lot we've kind of learned by, by checking in with the way that we feel over the past few years. Yeah. I think that's a really, really, really good point is that, you know, it's sort of like 
you know, this idea of your health is the greatest, greatest wealth you have, right? There's all those trite sort of sayings that we've heard throughout life, you know, health is wealth and all that. I know in South Asian culture, that's a, that's a popular one, but I think it's exactly that we've had this very, very real lived experience of what happens when you don't have your health quite literally, right? From every aspect of life. And so there is a different focus. I've actually seen this even in the interest in Ayurveda and what Mm. I do and what I teach. I mean, it has been almost insane, like the number of people reaching out to me, because I think, again, they're looking for other answers. They're looking for these time-tested traditions that have been around for centuries and thousands of years that is sort of the human experience, the human data, the lived mm-hmm. data that shows that these things work, right? And not only relying on the medical data that you're talking about. So I think it's a really good point. And I know it's a common, it's sort of a common thread in many of the trends that we mm-hmm. will talk about that I was reading through. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting. So thank you for bringing that up. I think it's a really important point. Okay, so let's move to self-care. I mean, we've got like two or three different trends we want to talk about here. So we'll go a little faster because I know we're, we're going in deep. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the first one for self-care is sexual wellness is coming soon to a store near you. Now, I found this one really interesting. Let's talk about this. Yeah. So um, getting back to the idea of making topics less taboo, um, sexual wellness, a pleasure centric approach to sex rather than it being purely procreative is something we've seen growing over the past few years. And it's something that I'm really excited about, um, particularly in regards to kind of women's pleasure, vulva havers, um, it being less uh, heteronormative than we've seen before. Um, And kind of the next iteration of this that we're that we're seeing is that sexual wellness products are becoming more available in big box stores, um, which seems to be kind of the a harbinger for me of just how normalized these things have become, which I think is really exciting. So places like Target and CVS and Rite Aid are making more, you know, sexual wellness and pleasure products available. And many of the direct to consumer brands that were kind of leading this pleasure revolution that we've seen, um, brands like Maud and Dame and Cake is a very cool new one that takes a very gender neutral approach, um, are now available at like Target and CVS. So you can go and you can, you can buy your toothpaste and you can buy your groceries (laughs) and then you can buy some lube. Um, and I think it's so cool to see. Yeah, I know. I think this is a really important topic. And I and I I love that you guys identified this one because again, it's sort of this disconnection between the fact that our sexual health is part of our overall health, right? It's it's just so interesting when you start thinking about that, that you know, what Western culture for so many reasons, and we won't get into all of that, right? There's so many religious, spiritual, political, mm-hmm. all these, you know, different reasons the forces have, you know regulated or made these topics taboo for whatever reason, right? But again, it's just, it's part of who we are. And it's really interesting. What I really love about this is that it's going beyond the idea of reproduction, but actual to pleasure and wellness, right? Because those are two different things. I mean, they're connected, obviously. 
But again, that goes to speaking to the gender neutral sort of approach that's coming with many of these brands of, of not saying that there's one way to have sexual pleasure or that it's gendered in some way. I think that's really interesting and important. And the other thing that it brings up for me is that in Ayurveda, we have a concept which is that you shouldn't repress any urges, right? And sexual urges are a natural urge, just like you know, uh, eliminating or being hungry or yawning or sneezing or even farting and belching, right? All of these are, are things that are natural parts of, the, of our existence of our body. And the reason is because natural urges serve a function in our overall health and wellness. And if we're always resisting them or suppressing them, that leads to imbalances within the body, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not about making it good or bad or saying you should do it all the time or not do it. It's sort of having that balanced approach to it and that it is part of our overall health and wellness. And so there's so many reasons that I think that this is so amazing. And I, you know, I was thinking about it because I actually read these a few weeks ago when, when we were first setting up this interview. And it's so interesting because in so many stores that I had gone to after, I started noticing that there were a lot of sexual wellness and pleasure products that were in these big box stores. And I was sort of like, oh my gosh, wow, <laughs> this is happening already. It's not like it's, it's just going to start happening in 2023. It's already happening. So it's really interesting. Yeah. Something that really struck me and just, just kind of made clear how big this is going to get in the coming year, even if it's already percolating now, is that Target in particular is rebranding all of its um, kind of sexual health aisles nationwide as sexual health instead of being, um, you know, fertility support or something like that. So or family um, planning or family planning. That's what it was. Yes. So which is, you know, again, so many reasons in Mm -hmm. this country we could get into (laughs) terminology (laughs) like that. Um, but, but yeah, so love to see kind of these stores that people across the country are so familiar with, feel so comfortable in kind of helping lead this change. Yeah. And I think the other thing that this does also is that it takes that taboo away from, from kids growing up, you know, it's sort of like what we've always thought about, you know, alcohol in, in European countries, you know, kids will sit at the dinner table and have a sip of wine with their, their parents. And so there's not this like stigma around it or like this, you know, curiosity. And so I also think that making this more about sexual wellness, it becomes something that people can talk about with their families, with the young ones in their lives, making it just part of who we are as people and not making it a taboo topic. So I think that that's so important too. Um, Again, expanding what health and wellness is from just going to the doctor and getting a checkup and, you know, only worrying about these issues um, around sex and sexual wellness when you're going to be reproducing or making sure that you don't um, have issues, right? It just destigmatizes it and also does what we in Ayurveda say is that there's no good or bad, right? Taking away that judgment from something. Mm. So I think that that's a really important thing to think about too, which just popped up in my mind. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's move to the next one. So this is a really interesting one, which I I will tell you had a little bit of trouble with. So wellness travel shoots for the moon and lands among the stars. So let's talk about this one. Yeah, and I'm very excited to hear your thoughts yeah. on this as well because I I think there was a lot of conversation around this one while we were um, kind of 
putting the trends together. So, and I think what it comes down to with a lot of our trends report is we're reporting on the trends that we're seeing and we're trying not to necessarily endorse them or say whether they're good or bad. Um, but to just kind of point out what we're seeing. And with this one, um, across the board, so many, um, hotels are introducing, more experiences for their guests around um, things like astrology and tarot reading and the um, and the phases of the moon. So they're seeing that this is an interest in their in their visitors and they're building kind of services around them. Um, you know, and and some of it extends to actual stargazing as well, which then we get into the astrology versus astronomy conversation that comes up a lot. Um, but there seems to be a clear interest in consumers, in travelers, in in kind of integrating a more spiritual mindset um, into the experiences they have when they travel. Um, and hotels in particular, and also some travel agencies are, you know, the way that they're looking to meet that need is, is through these astrologically minded um, services. There's one hotel in Sedona, for instance, that does a mercury retrograde reset. So during mercury retrograde every year, you know, you can go there for retreats and spa services and and kind of have that, that moment for yourself. And what I think is interesting about this trend is one of the sources we spoke to for it, when we talked about why is this happening now? and, And where is this stemming from? Um, pointed back to actually something we were talking about before, which is that over the past few years, people in America have lost a lot of faith in the systems that they that they look to for support. Things like government, things like healthcare. They feel like you know disenfranchised and, and disillusioned by what they're seeing from those. And because of that, they're looking for a new frame of reference, a new lens for kind of viewing their life um, and finding the support that they need. And for a lot of people, that's a more spiritual mindset. And for a lot of people, that's that's astrology. Um, and we've seen this rise of astrology and pop culture and astrology apps. Um, and yeah, that's being integrated into the travel industry now as well. Yeah. So this is, you know, I see this from many different sides and I understand where it's coming from. And I think it's wonderful that people are wanting to have more of a connection to some sense of something larger than themselves, right? Of, of being, whether you call it spiritual, spirituality, or, you know, just astrology, whatever name you want to put on it, right? This idea that there is something bigger than just me, right? And so this is where this is coming from. And I, I love that. I think that's wonderful. And, you know, reading a little bit more about this and doing some research on some of the different companies that you guys cite in your article, you know, there's this piece that's of me that's sort of like, okay, here we go again. This is, you know, capitalizing on, on indigenous healing traditions and ancient healing traditions that have always had deeper meanings to their practices, right? And then, you know, making these really gimmicky sorts of treatments that I'm seeing, whether it's with stones or, you know, whatever it is, it's sort of like, a really tricky place to be in because it can go the the way that Ayurveda and yoga have gone, which has become completely in Western culture, been completely disconnected from the deeper meanings of these practices, of these healing traditions, of the reasons that we do 
postures. It's not to be wearing, you know, fancy yoga clothes and doing a headstand. That is not the point, right? Um, but Western culture has made it about that mm-hmm. a lot. Not everybody, but a lot, right? And so I just, I'm worried that this is going to be another way that, you know, Western culture tries to capitalize on needs that people have that are very deep of wanting to connect to something larger than themselves and then promising them, you know, some kind of a gimmicky treatment or experience that also, by the way, is not necessarily done by someone from that culture, right? So there's so many layers of of things that can go wrong with this and probably are going wrong with it, but I hope that maybe we'll learn, you know, so that this was a tricky one for me because I, I get why it's happening, but it can go wrong in, a, in really fast. I completely agree with you. And, and a conversation that we have a lot at Well and Good across the board and, and certainly came up while we were discussing this trend is cultural appropriation versus appreciation, right? And when is it, particularly I think when you talk about international travel and you want to go somewhere and maybe experience some of the culture of that country, like when does that feel authentic? When are the practitioners actually people who come from that tradition um, versus when is it being co-opted by a big chain, by, you know, a white person pretending they know what they're talking about. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a gray, a gray area here. And I think it gets back to a lot of what comes up with these trends as well as being a, being a savvy consumer. Um, and being able to learn how to parse out for yourself as well when, you know, when you're having kind of a genuine respectful experience and, and when it is a commodification of these traditional practices. Yeah, exactly. Which actually, you know, we'll talk more about this in a second because this actually goes into the next trend that we're going to talk about, which is that wellness apps are becoming more culturally and linguistically diverse. So let's talk about this one and then we'll, we'll jump back to this idea because I think it, it, it correlates in both of these. Amazing. So this trend is something that I've been percolating in my mind for a number of years now, actually. I had a conversation with Nicole Cardoza, who's a yoga instructor. She founded the Anti-Racism Daily Newsletter um, in 2020. And, you know, it's just incredibly wise and smart. And I love chatting with her. And, and I, in a conversation I had with her a few years ago, she brought up this idea of the fact that so many wellness apps have this kind of standard Eastern seaboard or European accent in the meditations. Um, and that for so many people, that's not reflective of the voices that they grew up hearing or the way that they sound and that that can be really othering for people. Um, so I had kind of this, this nugget in the back of my mind and then have been watching over the past few years to see if changes are made in that space. Um, and I think they are, which I think is really great. And it's happening in, in a number of ways. So one is that these fitness and wellness apps are offering more language options in general. So Spanish is becoming much more common. You know, it's the second most common language spoken in the United States. Um, and so I love that brands like Peloton and Headspace are offering their offerings in, in Spanish now and increasingly other languages as well. Um, looking ahead to 2023, Peloton in particular is looking at increasing its, um, its translation services so that there's, you know, 
a, a class that is broadcast in English. They can quickly turn it around and have it be in Spanish for people, even if the instructor wasn't originally Spanish speaking. Um, and they recently rolled out um, customer support services in Spanish, which I think is fantastic. So yeah, on the one hand, there's this like actual what language is being spoken. Um, we're also seeing ways that apps and technology are becoming more accessible to the deaf and hard of hearing community. Apple rolled out in the past year live captions for video and for audio, um, which means that things like podcasts are now more available to people um, who are hearing impaired. There's an app called Alma that is a mental health therapy app. They have sessions available in ASL, which I think is fantastic. So there's that the actual language part of it. And then I think it's also coming to light by, um, by platforms that are really centering people of color in a non-white experience. And that's showing up in their array of instructors as well, so that there's just a greater cultural competency coming from these apps and not kind of a default into the white able-bodied, um, wellness consumer. Yeah. Which I think is, you know, and the language piece I think is, you know, super clear that we have to have these types of services and apps and, you know, the availability of this in different languages for different people. But I think the nuanced piece of it is what you just spoke to. And mm -hmm. is that, you know, it's not just enough to have it in another language. It also has to be culturally sensitive. And that comes from having people of those cultures, even if they've grown up in the United States, like myself, talking about Ayurveda or doing a, a, you know, a meditation or a yoga class or whatever it is that might be focused on these South Asian healing traditions. And I'm not seeing that quite yet. You know, and, mm -hmm. and that is that is problematic for me, right? And and it's one of the things that I really feel strongly about and have really sort of wanted to speak about a lot. And I think that is one of the nuances here, right? You know, I know, um, you know, one of my friends, Rosie Acosta, I've, we've, we've done podcasts together and she's a lovely, amazing human being. I know that she was just featured on Headspace, which I think is mm. really, really important um, because of that cultural piece, right? It's not just enough to, again, she could translate into Spanish. She speaks Spanish, right? But it's not just that. It's, it's about even speaking in English and then having, you know, people identify with the person who's speaking, right? It's sort of like, you know, in, in film, in music, we, we identify with people who look like us, right? Who have similar experiences as us. And so I do think that that's the next piece that really you know, people were talking about it with Black Lives Matter in 2020, which, of course, should not have gone away or, you know, it's still it's in it's there, but people are not talking about it as much. And this was a huge um, discussion that year about sort of the whitewashing of wellness. Right. And um, and the need for diverse teachers, whether it's culturally diverse or able body or not able body, you know, size, all of those things. I think that a lot of these apps will miss the mark if they don't also take that into consideration. Because, you know, having me doing an English, you know, even if it's in English, but having someone like me doing a meditation or a guided meditation is significant. That's a big deal for a lot of South Asian people, right? So it's just yeah. something I think that's really important to think about. 
as we talk about. This. Yeah, absolutely. I, I so agree with that. Um, and I was speaking with Sinikiwe Dilueo, um, who founded a wellness community called Naya, and she's working on a movement app called Alanga in the coming year. And she, you know, she speaks of centering bodies of culture. Um, mm -hmm. And I love that, that turn of phrase. I love that term. Yeah. That phrase is um, great. Yeah. And she really, you know, I think that she's someone that is really looking to, to lead with that in the work that she's doing rather than it being an, an afterthought. And I think that is so important. Um, the shine app is another was created by two women, um, a black woman and a half Japanese woman who felt like they weren't seeing themselves and their experiences reflected in wellness offerings. So they founded, um, a, a mindfulness app that, you know, came from that approach first, um, headspace acquired shine this past year. So I think really interesting to see kind of what, what happens there and, you know, what sort of an acquisition that ends up being. Um, but yeah, this is not, so this is only beginning. I think it's, it's beginning far too late. Um, but it's, it's a, a movement we're starting to see now and something that we're trying to do at well and good is really shine a spotlight on um, on the people and the organizations that we think are doing it right in order to help push that conversation forward more quickly. Um, because I, I completely agree with you. There's too much, there's too much co-opting and whitewashing happening in wellness. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it, again, it's that nuance because people will say that, oh, well, we're, you know, we're offering this in another language. Okay. But let's, <laughs> let's go beyond that. Let's, let's dive a little deeper. So I think that's, you know, sort of what we're talking about. Um, Okay, so we have gone through all of the beauty trends and the self-care trends that we were going to talk about. And so we're going to actually continue this conversation. But for the listeners, this will be the next episode. Um, Abby, thank you so much for doing this with me. Um, this has been fascinating. And I can't wait for us to dive into our next conversation, which for me and you will be in a couple of minutes, but for <laughs> everybody else will be next week. So thank you for doing this. Thank you. The feeling's very mutual. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember... With the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.